It was a round of applause type of day for not just the Chiefs, but Travis Kelsey. I'm giving him a round of applause. I'm, that's what I'm doing into the microphone right now. A round of applause for Travis Kelsey. Um, he commandeered the football weekend, and it had nothing to do with anything that was happening on the field. It had literally nothing. I mean, he played a good game. The Chiefs played a good game. That game was basically over by halftime, uh, but it was nothing he had to do on the football field. He had a touchdown. It was not anything to do with him on the field. It was the fact that he invited Taylor Swift, arguably the biggest musical star on planet Earth right now, uh, to Arrowhead Stadium, Arrowhead Field, whatever they call it now, uh, and to watch him play. And the developing story, obviously, around football and him in general has been that he is currently in a relationship, a friendship, you know, maybe leaning towards a tad bit of a relationship with Taylor Swift. Uh, that would be a massive, just a month. That would, I don't think people understand, okay? That would launch Travis Kelsey ahead of everybody in all of professional football. Uh, launch him ahead to be the number one most known person in all of football because the Swifties are going to come out of the woodwork and they're going to start watching football just for Travis Kelsey because they want to see uh, Taylor Swift's boyfriend succeed. That is what's going to happen with Travis Kelsey. If it if they in, are indeed dating, if that is something that is happening, if there are friends leaning and leaning a little bit towards some sort of relationship, kind of working out the kinks, you know, then, you know, Travis Kelsey is going to launch ahead of Patrick Mahomes in terms of popularity. Um, and Travis Kelsey was already kind of up there. I mean, he is a very popular, probably the most, I mean, not probably, definitely the most popular tight end in football, maybe of all time. Uh, I'm thinking, you know, Gronk is definitely up there. It's probably him or Gronk, maybe Tony Gonzalez as well. Um, but, you know, I mean, Travis Kelsey, if he starts dating Taylor Swift, the Swifties are going to come out tenfold. We're going to see more jersey sales in Travis Kelsey than we'd ever seen in our entire life. And then if he ends up breaking up with her or vice versa, she ends up breaking up with him, then it's going to be, we'll never see more jerseys being lit on fire than we've ever seen in our entire life if that ends up happening. But I'm not trying to jinx it, okay? Good for Travis Kelsey. Just an unbelievable, uh, an unbelievable pull, I must say. Um, also, it's a very heads-up play by Travis Kelsey. Just a massive heads-up play. Uh, he invites her to a game against the Bears, and the Bears, we all know, they're terrible. I don't know if Taylor Swift watches a lot of football, but she might not be aware that the Bears are terrible. Maybe um, she just, you know, she's familiar with the Bears. She doesn't know what's going on with their season so far. Who knows? I don't know how big of a sports fan Taylor Swift is actually, uh, if she's actually paying attention to football or anything like that. Um, but if, just assuming she doesn't pay attention to football, she could be thinking, you know, it's going to be a tough game. It could be a difficult game. And, you know, Travis Kelsey, knowing in all of his infinite wisdom, knows Bears are terrible. They're not going to be able to stop him or any of the Chiefs, no matter what. They're going to put on a show. Uh, he probably had some sort of words to speak before pregame game saying hey guys we need to blow out this team today okay i've got i, I got big things working here in the in the in the press box literally in the in the box seats literally i've got big things going on in the box seats okay we need to blow this team out and uh everybody was on board they were like look we're gonna help out our brother and travis kelsey and that's what we're gonna do he also not to mention uh he sits there next to his mom and he is very clearly a mama's boy him and his uh and him and his brother are very clearly mama's boys they love mama donna kelsey uh she seems great a great mother uh and he she's his number one fan donna kelsey his mother and she's of course just going to go to work for him you know she's going to be the wing mom and it looked like she was doing her due diligence she was being the wing mom you know making taylor swift laugh up in the box seats making sure she's having a good time just doing real 
wing mom stuff. And I appreciated that from Donna Kelsey and no Travis. He expected nothing less out of mama Kelsey. Okay. Expected nothing less. That's Travis. Travis knows his mom. So he sees her up there with with Taylor Swift and you know, that's all he needs to see because he knows it's going to go well because he knows mama Kelsey is going to put in the work. She's going to put in the work. She's going to, she's going to, you know, talk about a lifetime for mama Kelsey. Okay. She births two NFL stars. Jason Kelsey at the center position, basically impossible to become a star in, but he already has a documentary on Amazon Prime. And, you know, it's basically, like I said, it's basically impossible to become a star at that position, but he somehow find it a way, found a way to do it. And then Travis Kelsey, obviously not, you know, nothing needs to be said about him. Going to go down as one of the greatest tight ends of all time. You know, had his own, uh, had his own love interest show, reality TV show there for a little bit on E, if anybody remembers that, go and look it up. Uh, and obviously that didn't pan out. Um, and, and yeah, and, you know, he's, they have one of the most popular podcasts in all of sports right now. Um, they're reshaping the way we talk about uh, athletes and podcasts or in, you know, public, uh, how their public decorum works in that sense and, and with their podcast game. And then Donna is going to potentially, I'm not trying to jinx anything, like I said, but potentially, if all goes well, potentially be the mother-in-law to Taylor Swift. That's an all-time, an all-time mother. Like, she'd be top five, top ten mothers of all time, just in terms of accolades. Like, what she was able to produce, and then, you know, what she was able to marry into with Taylor Swift as being the mother, I guess, being the mother-in-law of Taylor Swift. Like, that's, I mean... That that's a tip of the cap to Miss Donna Kelsey as well, Mrs. Donna Kelsey as well, um, who you know has only only shown great things in motherhood as well. There, there was that very heartwarming uh, scene of her after last year's Super Bowl when she was on the field. She had the two um, the split shirts, obviously, because it was Jason Kelsey's Eagles in the Super Bowl, Travis Kelsey's Chiefs in the Super Bowl, and she had the split jerseys and stuff. And there was that really heartwarming scene where she was down on the field trying to find Jason and Travis basically at the same time, and Jason was you know all kind of shaken up by it, obviously, because he'd lost and he hugged her gave her a kiss and she was all sad for him and then she found travis and then you know it was all celebratory after that it was awesome it was so cool and now she's appearing in she's appearing in uh commercials with the kelsey brothers she's becoming synonymous with the kelsey name as much as jason and travis is so and you know and travis knows this so he sends J- taylor Swift. he's like taylor you're gonna be set up we're sitting right next to my mom i hope that's not uncomfortable she's a wonderful woman which you know he yeah, absolutely donna knew what to do from there on she's like look i'm gonna make i'm gonna make my son look like the greatest swifty slash uh, you know person of all time and that's what happened and now i truly believe i'm a believer that travis kelsey has 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 as he's gotten it he's tied the knot quote unquote in terms of tied the knot as in like boyfriend girlfriend i think they're dating personally i think they're dating but you know maybe keeping it under wraps a little bit so far uh and you know maybe she maybe taylor's finally found the one okay let's let's start there Maybe she's finally found the one, the music can maybe, uh, you know, she may still talk, she talk about breakups and stuff like that, but if she's found the one, maybe she gets into like marriage songs and stuff. I don't know how songs work, but maybe, maybe she starts talking about her life in marriage or found finding a, a, a significant other that is like actually cool and a good person. Like, that'd be cool. I would like that music more. That would be awesome. Um, I thought she was going to be performing at the Super Bowl, to be honest with you. I thought she was going to be the one that was going to be announced to be performing at the Super Bowl. Um, I'm surprised. Well, I'm not surprised it wasn't because her music never really mashed, I think, with the way football is kind of displayed, I guess, if that makes sense. You know, it's more it's a lot of love story music, you know, love love story type pop. Um so it's not stunning. It'd be like if Selena Gomez was, um, you know, what was introduced as and I guess as uh, as a Super Bowl singer. But 
uh, you know, Usher, Usher being the one that is going to be um, the Super Bowl singer, which granted, totally deserving. Even, you know, Taylor Swift would be totally deserving as well. Um, but Usher, you know, one of the great pop artists of our time, of maybe of maybe uh, the last past 10, 10 to 12 years, I would say. Um, but his music is also very much um, not, you know, it's love oriented. You know, it's not, it's like R&B hits almost. So it's, it's it'll be interesting to see where that ends up when it comes to Super Bowl because it'll be interesting to how that see how that show turns out. I mean, the weekend was that too, and the weekends was great. I loved the weekend, so it'll be interesting. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, the intro here today is just a round of applause for Travis Kelsey. Well done, sir. I mean, just immaculate in all degrees. He was spotted afterwards, uh, taking her t- taking her to wherever. I think they went to a restaurant afterward. I think he rented out like an entire restaurant for him and his teammates to go to. Which I mean, he just took out all the stops. He said, "Look." I'm going to blow her mind today. Okay. I'm going to catch seven balls. I'm going to have 96 yards and then I'm going to have a touchdown. And then I'm going to rent out an entire restaurant here in Kansas city. It's not barbecue, which that would have actually been funny. Uh, if he took her to just some barbecue joint or something like that off of like the I 95 freeway or whatever it is over there. Um, and, and then just, they just had ribs or something like that. That would have actually been funny, but they ended up, you know, renting out an entire, I, I guess a building, which was basically a restaurant. Uh, and then they just had dinner and stuff and they had the, they had, uh, chief teammates there with their wives and such. And it was supposed to be a pretty cool evening, I guess. So shout out to Travis Kells. Just very well done, sir. Where uh, nothing but an old tip of the cap to you, sir. Nothing but an old tip of the cap to you. Uh, all right. That was my intro. I hope you liked it. I'm not going to talk about, not going to talk about that game because nobody cares. I mean, that was literally by halftime because that game was over at halftime. It was 35 to nothing, I think, or something like that at halftime. Um, nobody cared about the game at that point. It was basically if Travis Kelsey, Kelsey caught a, a football. It was him catching the ball, giving it back to the ref, and then the immediate pan next was to Taylor Swift in the box. It was incredible. I'd never seen anything like it on a football broadcast. He was like, I, the football that was on the field, especially after halftime, was kind of like secondary to what was going on in the box seats with Taylor Swift just sitting there. Like it became a secondary or like a primary news story. And nobody knew about it either. Like before, until before kickoff, like I think it was Adam Schefter or somebody like that tweeted out and said, Travis Kelsey is an, or um, Taylor Swift is in attendance for Travis Kelsey's game today uh, against the Chiefs against the Bears. And that was like the first time anybody had heard of it. And it was like 20, 15, maybe 20 minutes before kickoff. And right when I saw that, I was like, oh man, this is going to be a big day. I wonder, I'm curious to see how that went in on like the backside and like the, the behind the scenes. Uh, I think it was CBS who had that game, CBS or Fox, one of the two. Um, what the behind the scenes looked like for that game, because I bet once they spotted Taylor Swift, like the entire idea of production, like the production sheet went straight out the door. They were like, look, we had a, a solid line of what the idea of what we were trying to formulate for this broadcast. But now Taylor Swift's in the stands this is a huge news story where Taylor Swift's going to be like almost the primary source. If, if the Chiefs go up big or the Bears go up big by any means. Taylor Swift is the primary story. Like the primary story we're talking about is Taylor Swift being up in the stands. And then like that was the rest of the broadcast. It was interesting because like you're not going to find anyone, maybe a couple other people on planet Earth that are going to be bigger stars than Taylor Swift. Like, I don't know, especially with the story surrounding that situation, it only made it brighter. But like, even if Taylor Swift showed up to that game and she was wearing like Chiefs, you know, that Chiefs jacket that she was wearing um, and there were no rumors of her dating anybody, that still probably would have been a pretty big story because it probably would have spiked rumors, um, but it only made it bigger with the fact that 
Trevor or Trevor, Trevor Kelsey, Travis Kelsey was allegedly seeing her at the time. And I mean, it just became a massive story. It's incredible because like you're going to see, I think it's already happening. Honestly, I think like he gained Travis Kelsey, I think gained like 30,000 extra followers on social media or something like that. And his Jersey sales, I think spiked like crazy after that as well. Um, but he's only get, he's going to launch to superstardom if that becomes a official tandem between Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. If that becomes a real thing, he is going to become the biggest star in all of professional football without a doubt. And it's not going to be football fans. Obviously it's going to be both football fans and it's going to be the Swifties coming on just watching football because Travis Kelsey happens to be there. There could be a good mix of both the Swifty fans who are also, also football fans. It could be a mix, but now you're also getting the Swifty fans who don't pay attention to football whatsoever because Taylor Swift is possibly dating Travis Kelsey. Like it's going to be, it's going to be massive. Their NFL is nothing but, I mean, also NFL is ecstatic about the announcement that are quote unquote, the announcement, the soft launch, if you will, of Travis Kelsey and, um, Taylor Swift, because they're like, well, our numbers are about to jump up like crazy. And they already are. Like I said, they, his jersey sales have spiked like crazy. He's got crazy social media influence now, 30,000 extra followers on a social media platform. So it, it's a, it was a good day for the NFL. It was a good day for uh, Taylor Swift. It was a good day for Travis Kelsey. And overall, I mean, it was a good day for the Chiefs as well. Beautiful podcast listeners, James here. It is time to hear from another one of our sponsors, Alpine Climate Control. If you're a listener of mine, you know that Alpine Climate Control has been supporting the stuff that I do for a very long time, years now, and they are now officially sponsoring the Weekend Sports Wrap podcast as well. If you're looking for somebody to set up air conditioning systems, air conditioners, that sort of thing, Alpine Climate Control is the people to see. They also have air conditioning tune-ups. A good idea if your AEC is not working properly, if it's not functioning properly, if you're standing in front of it, you're like, this should be a lot colder, and it's not, probably needs a tune-up. So check them out for all your air conditioning needs and AC tune-ups. They also have furnace systems and fireplace inserts. We are slowly approaching the fall months, and it is a good idea to get those things figured out and worked on now than as you enter the fall months. But they're creme de la creme the cream of their crop their specialty is their outdoor living spaces they've got seating fire pits lighting barbecue grills if you're somebody that's like likes a little backyard barbecue then they are the people to see to set you up that's alpine climate control stop by their showroom they're on coffee avenue just before sheridan college and a little bit after starbucks or go online to alpineclimatecontrol.com and you can see all of their offerings there as well that's alpineclimatecontrol.com and again big thank you to alpine climate control for sponsoring the program Okay, let's move on to college football. Um, I think you guys are kind of starting to get the pattern here that we're going to start getting into for football season. I guess we're already into for football season. This is kind of the pattern we're going to follow the rest of the season. Um, we're going to start talking once um, once MLB postseason starts getting underway. We might slip some MLB postseason stuff in there as well. Um, and then NBA basketball is not far around the corner either. So we might start talking about some NBA as well. Uh, but as of right now, Football dominates the sporting world, uh, at least the American sporting world. And we're going to start with college football. It was week four last week. Uh, it was a very good week, uh, good weekend. A lot of marquee matchups on the board uh, for the weekend. And um, I think most of them panned out pretty well. There were a couple stinkers, one including one included in my poo-poo garbage, no good game of the week. Uh, but for the most part, they all panned out to be uh, pretty, pretty good football games. I was, uh, I was gleefully excited. There weren't many blowouts. There was one 
specifically that was a blowout that ended up being a poo-poo garbage, no good game. Uh, and, you know, there were a couple of really good games. Ohio State, uh, Notre Dame was a good game. Florida State versus Clemson was a really good game. Uh, even, you know, Ole Miss versus Alabama was a decent game, even though Ole Miss still has its struggles against Alabama. Um, but let's start with... We had an amazing weekend, like I said, in college football. Just from we have even more amazing storylines from a comedic storyline perspective. Um, college football never fails. I mean, every Saturday it seems like there's something really funny that's going to happen on college football, um, and it's you know it's week in week out. You can put money on it that there's something that's going to be just generally funny about something that happened on Saturday. We had two that I could catch off of uh, that I that I uh, saw on Twitter that was kind of making the rounds. Uh, the first one. James Madison University, they were playing Utah State, if I remember correctly, uh, and the JMU coach, um, I think he was an assistant, and then the assistant, so the assistant started it, and then the coach continued it, but it started with the assistant, and then the coach showing a picture on his phone, or I guess the assistant's phone, or whoever it was, a coordinator or something like that, uh, of a play in true Patrick Beverly style to a referee showing the supposed penalty or non-penalty that was happening in that moment. I don't remember, but the uh, it, the camera panned them and was hard zoomed on them at that very moment. And, they, and this coach and this assistant were showing this phone to the referees, <laughs> to the umpire, the back judge, whoever it was, uh, as well as the main referee, the white hat. And they were like, hey, look, look, you missed it. Look at this right here. And then they kind of got in trouble or whatever. And they gave the, the, the coach gave his phone or that the assistant's phone back to him. And uh, the announcers were having fun. I mean, they were laughing at it. It was really, it was a funny moment. It was a very funny, funny moment in the weekend, especially if you were watching it, because they just like hard cut to this head coach and an assistant arguing with a referee. And, you know, the head coach has this, uh, a phone out showing it to the referee what he had done incorrectly. It was truly, it was, it was Patrick Beverly moment. It really was. Uh, another one, this one was hard for me to believe. I could not believe this was something that had happened. Um, allegedly, I don't know how true this one really is, to be honest with you. I, I was not, but crack sport, uh, but cracked. If, if you're unaware Twitter, uh, there's plenty of spoof pages like sports pages that make up stuff like that. Obviously and they're called, but crack sports. And there's like a bunch of others as well. Um, but this one from that was making the rounds as well. This one was funny. A Texas state, Texas state band member. Uh, they were playing Nevada, not a great game, but the Texas State band member uh, was reportedly escorted out of the stadium for throwing a trident. A trident at towards Nevada football players. Nobody got struck by it. I don't know if it was a real trident. If it was a real trident, I don't know how they got that in. I would imagine it was something like plastic or something like that. And he was like throwing it. I don't know. I have no idea. Um, but there's footage of him being escorted out of the stadium, which was pretty funny. Uh, he had like a tuba or a bassoon or something like that. Uh, and he was, he was bringing that with him. It's not like they made him leave that at the, so he was walking out of the stadium with a big, like comedically funny, large instrumental item that he was walking out of the stadium with being asked to escort it out with. Uh, and so, yeah, this Texas state band member was just throwing a trident, throwing a trident at the Nevada football players. I don't think it was real. If it was real, this would not be funny because it would be like, you know, or if, I mean, I guess it would, it would still be funny if it was real and it didn't hit any of them, obviously like nobody was harmed. Um, if it hit somebody, obviously this would not be very funny, but it didn't hit anybody. I don't think anybody was nearly, you know, nobody would cause harm or anything like that. I don't think it was real because, like, you know, the police officer that was escorting him out seemed pretty chill. Like, he wasn't arrested or anything like that. So I think it was just like a, you know, a plastic trident of some kind that he was throwing. Um, but it's funny. I mean, that's a that's that's a funny that's a fun, a funny headline to read in the middle of your college football Saturday. Uh, a Texas state band member was escorted out of the stadium for throwing a, a trident 
at a the Nevada general area, the Nevada football players, the Nevada sideline. Essentially, it was that's a funny story to read. Uh, all right, that uh, that was um, our comedic storylines uh, from the weekend Saturday. We're gonna I mean, there's one every weekend. Essentially, I could make that a weekly uh, a weekly um, a second weekly segment as well if I wanted to, but I don't think I'm gonna. But that that one, I mean, that was a good weekend for it. Um, I'm gonna start today because it leads to a little bit more a grander uh, point that I'm trying to make. I'm going to start with the poo poo garbage. No good game of the week um, today. So prepare your farts and such. It is the poo poo. No good poo poo garbage. No good game of the week. And for this week, I think my prediction was uh, Louisiana tech in Nebraska. And that one actually turned out to be a pretty decent game. Um, more scoring in that game than I thought there was going to be at the very least. Um, but the poo-poo garbage, no good game of the week pick for me this weekend was Iowa versus Penn State. They both came into this game ranked. Uh, I think Iowa was 24th in the country, according to AP pollers. And then Penn State was 7th or something like that. They were top 10, uh, if I remember correctly, coming into that game as well. And this game was garbage. Um, Penn State played a pretty good game. It took about, like after halftime for their offense to really start rolling. Um, but honestly, they were up, I think, 10 nothing at the half, and that felt like an insurmountable lead, which is insane, especially for Iowa. And this is mainly because of Iowa. This poo-poo garbage, no good game of the week uh, mantle that they're getting is mainly because of Iowa. Uh, they had maybe one of the worst offensive performances I have ever seen in primetime college football game. Um, here's some baffling stats for you from that game. Iowa had the same number of turnovers in that game. As first downs, they had four turnovers and four first downs. Also, Penn State scored just two fewer points than Iowa had total offensive plays. I mean, I'm going to repeat that one. Penn State had scored just two fewer points than Iowa had total offensive plays. Penn State had more rushing attempts than Iowa had total passing yards. Iowa fumbled six times. Iowa finished with 33 total plays. No other team has been outstaffed by 60 plus plays in a single game in the past five seasons. If you want to see what nepotism is like, if you're born into a good situation, it can really take you a long way. Like it can take you a very, very long way. It can take you so far. Uh, and I think Iowa football is kind of the prime example of that right now. I th I've talked a little bit about Iowa football before, but I think the game against Penn State, where they were both ranked, I, you heard me talk about this before in the preseason rankings show that I did with Grant, Grant Urie, who came on, um, about how Iowa was somehow ranked 25th in the country after what we saw last year. You know, again, a, a whole lot of roster turnover always happens, you know, recruitment and stuff like that. So you can't really um, get a great idea of what is coming up. I mean, you can get a, a general idea, like your, your big your biggins are always going to kind of be there. Your Georgias, your Ohio States. Yeah. I mean, your Alabama's for the most part, but even they have not panned out this year either, obviously. Um, but Iowa state or seeing Iowa ranked blew my mind because they didn't change offensive coordinators. Their head coach has been around. Uh, Iowa has been their head coach for 25 years, 25 plus years or something like that. So there was no reason to believe that that offense was going to get any better. I don't care who transferred there or whatever. Their defense is always going to be pretty solid. Their offense is never going to get better. For those of you that do not know, Kirk Ferentz is the head coach for for Iowa. He's the head coach. Um, he's been the head coach for, I mean, forever. I think basically as long as I've been alive, uh, he's been the head coach at uh, Iowa football. 
He started there in 1998. I was born in 1997. So basically, as long as I've been conscious, he's been the head coach at uh, Iowa. And he's had some pretty good seasons. He's taken them to Big Ten championships. I don't think he's ever won a Big Ten championship, but he's taken them to to multiple Big Ten championships. Excuse me. I'm sorry. I, I was incorrect. He's won two uh, Big Ten uh, championships in the early 2000s, 2002 and 2004. Um, but he's been to multiple. He's kind of been, honestly, like clockwork. They have gone and won eight games basically every season. He's eight-plus games basically every season since he's been uh, head coach at this program. And they have, I think, five, you know, six or seven games of 10-plus wins in a season. So I, I, I don't think Kirk Ferentz is the problem. I've never really thought that he's the problem. I think he's been a pretty solid head coach for – uh, this program for obviously a very long time. And, you know, he's taken them to Rose Bowl, uh, Rose Bowl games as well. A lot of big bowl games. Um, so I've never, and especially out of Iowa, which I can't imagine recruiting to Iowa. The university of Iowa is very easy. Uh, I could be wrong. I could be wrong about that. Sorry. Iowans. I apologize, but I, you know, I, there's nothing wrong with Iowa. I get, you know, it's, we're kind of two sides of the same coin. You know, I would imagine recruiting to Wyoming, you know, some, somebody that would love to go as somebody that would love to go to like the beach a lot or something like that. It's probably pretty difficult to recruit to Wyoming. Like you're going to play in the cold a lot. It's going to be cold. It's going to be windy. And you know, it's two sides of the same coin in terms of Wyoming, Laramie, you know, it's no offense, but I would imagine it's a little more difficult to recruit to those locations. Um, but he's done a good job. He's always done a good job as their head coach. Now, his son, Brian Ferentz, is the real culprit here. He is the real culprit. That is his son, uh, and he is the offensive coordinator for the Iowa Hawkeyes. He has been the offensive coordinator since 2017 uh, when his father hired him on to be offensive coordinator. He worked in other areas of the team, if I remember correctly, um, up until his offensive coordinator position in 2017. Uh, and basically since then, he's had some good years here and there, uh, but I would say the past two years have been borderline unacceptable. Uh, if you are, especially if you're an Iowa Hawkeyes fan, I mean, at this point, it's like, you know, like work. This is ridiculous. I, if I remember also, if I remember correctly, if he signed, he restructured his deal, um, with Iowa and it was something ridiculous. Like if he scores 300, he, he keep, he's going to be able to keep his job. If he has, scores, uh, 325 total points as an offense, um, the Iowa Hawkeyes scored 325 total points as an offense this season. He'll be able to keep his job. If they score less than that, then he will not be able to keep his job, which is one of the funniest contract stipulations I've ever seen. Uh, other than like, you know, Kyler Murray, you can't play video games on this day or something like that. Like that was one of a uh, contract stipulation as well. You know, those other ones, which are funny. Kurt Schilling had one. I remember correctly where he, had to have internet connection in his hotel room so he could play video games. That was something that I remember hearing. Uh, but the 325 point rule, that's funny. Like that, that's some good stuff. And they're probably not going to hit it. If I'm going to be honest with you, they're four games in. I don't remember exactly what they're at, but that's not very high. Like he's not, he's not getting started at the, at a very good rate. I will say that. Um, and again, like I said, like their offense is dreadful. Like their offense is truly, truly God awful. Just terrible. Often, like statistically watching them is terrible. It's just not fun, period. But like clockwork, like I said, they're three and one. So, you know, it, it's weird. Like Kirk Ferentz is just doing things that I don't understand in getting away with it in ways that I don't understand. He's three and one. I mean, their offense should not be winning them games. 
but they're here. They're when they're three and one. Uh, they're only lost to Penn State, which granted that's probably that that's been their toughest test on the schedule so far. But their defense, their, their defense is always so good and suffocating that they can get away with the absolutely terrible numbers that they put up on offense. Like they beat Utah State twenty four to fourteen. Terrible game. Iowa State, that was one of our poo-poo garbage games of the week when they played Iowa State and they won 20 to 13, if I remember correctly. And then they beat Western Michigan 41 to 10. They get shut out by Penn State as well. All that being said, like they're still, again, three and one with these are the numbers um, for his offense so far this year. 133 FBS teams. That's the total. They rank 131st in total offense and in first downs. 126th in pass plays of 10 plus yards, 124th in fumbles and 121st in total passing offense. Also, they are the only power five team averaging fewer than 300 yards per game and only they're only averaging 245.5. They're last among power five teams in first downs and pass plays of 10 plus yards. And they're averaging just 127 pass yards per game, which is 30 yards worse than last season. And they went and got Cade McNamara, who was a starting quarterback for the Michigan Wolverines two seasons ago, if I remember correctly. And then, you know, he got benched for J.J. McCarthy last year. Uh, And I mean, it's doing worse than it was the year before, which is insane. Uh, Yeah, I mean, this team is just. It's hard to watch and it blows my mind. Like, I think the key point that you should take away from this is that. Like if, if you have a parent or anything like that and something that not only makes good money, but you're also passionate about, just do it, man, because you're going to move up in the ranks. Like no matter if you're good at it or bad at it, if you enjoy it, you're going to move up in the ranks. He coached for the Patriots from 2008 to 2011. He wasn't his offensive coordinator or anything like that. He was just like an offensive assistant or something. Uh, but I mean, he went he coached at the Patriots, you know, like that's not a poo poo job, but that, that's not like a, a guffaw type of job. You don't just get that job because you, you barely get that job. If you're actually good enough to play in that job. And it just happens that, um, you know, Ryan Ferentz relatively good, you know, like granted he's going to outcoach basically any high school coach on planet earth, but you know, when it comes to the grand scheme of things of every other college coach, Adam, you know, in terms of offensive coordinators, he's probably the lowest on the list or one of the lowest on the list right now at this point. Um, okay. That was the poo poo garbage. No good game of the week. Got into a bigger, uh, a bigger spiel there, uh, but it was Iowa Penn state. It was terrible. That game was God awful, uh, mainly because of Iowa. Uh, they were on the field for 33 offensive plays. Like that game was over by halftime, even though it was 10 to nothing, it was 10 to nothing. And it felt like an insurmountable lead. Uh, and Penn state would go on to win 31 to nothing. I think even Penn state fans were a little disappointed that it turned out um, like their first half was not very good. And, and I think Penn state fans were just getting a little restless. And then, you know, they kind of turned it on in the uh, second half and blew out Iowa. And I think that's going to be a lot of what's to come for Iowa, to be honest with you. Um, Penn State's a good team, but Iowa, obviously, offensively, they're not very good. Their defense is always pretty solid, like I said, but I think this is something that's definitely weighing on I just Iowa in general. Like putting that disclaimer into a contract uh, and the whole world essentially knowing about it cannot be easy pressure to try to live up to. So I think this is probably going to be I mean, I want to say a down year for them, but again, I mean, they're three and one like clockwork. They're three and one. And that one loss was terrible, but they've won three out of conference games. So, you know, I I don't know what to expect from my, I have no idea. Like they could just win eight games by rolling out their defense every time. And I wouldn't be surprised. Like their offense doesn't even go on the field and they still find a way to win eight games. Like that's just feels like 
I, that's Iowa football. That's how they do it. Um, all right, let's move on. The actual good game of the week. Uh, Florida State versus Clemson. This is my pick for the actual good game of the week. There were some really good ones. Washington State, Oregon State was really good. That was a ton of fun to watch. The Pac-2 championship, if you will, for next year. Uh, then Ohio State, Notre Dame, obviously, was a, a fun enough game to watch, especially the last five minutes of the game. That was a very defensively-minded game, obviously. Two defenses, two very good defenses, uh, really just kind of slugging it out. And then we had like a buzzer-beating essentially a buzzer beating um, uh, game winning touchdown for Ohio state that won them the game, obviously. Um, and also a um, Arkansas LSU game that kind of flew under the radar LSU um, in the top 25, obviously I think they're 21st ranked at this week anyways. Um, and they were taking on Arkansas. Arkansas had like a 10, a 10 point lead in this game. They, like Arkansas to me is the version of Iowa that Iowa, I think wants to be like Arkansas is that team. Like they're just going to, put the womp on you, you know, they're going to slow you down and we're going to just beat, beat the hell out of you. That's what Arkansas football is all about in true Razorback fashion. That's how they play football. And that's what Iowa, I think wants to be. They're just not. Um, and that was like LSU kind of fell in the trap. Kentucky is another one that I kind of think of that being their brand of football. Um, but Arkansas, they led by, I think 10 in this game, LSU came back, uh, and then they end up winning with a game winning field goal as time expired. 38 to 35, uh, was the final score in that one. So that was another good game. I think kind of flew under the radar. Uh, USC, Arizona state turned out to be be a pretty fun watch. Uh, USC, Got some concern. I mean, everybody's got concerns about USC, obviously. Um, but like that game, that was a head scratcher. That was a head scratcher because the defense gave up 28 points that got shut out by Fresno state and Fresno state, you know, is a good football team for the most, like a pretty decent football team. Um, but getting shut out by Fresno state and then it was held to 15 points by Oklahoma state. So, you know, USC, USC is, in my opinion, bound to have a couple. I think they're going to probably lose two or three games this year because they, they've got a pretty tough schedule. Um, looking at the grand scheme of things, they've kind of ski, sc- like scooted by a couple of, um, you know, pretty easy matchups to start the season. But they got Colorado coming up next. That game could end up being 45 to 42 one way or something like that. Uh, then they have to go play Notre Dame. That's probably a loss. They got to play Utah. That, in my opinion, is probably a loss. Washington is probably the best team in the country right now, right now, just from top to bottom, how good they're playing, especially offensively. Michael Penix is unbelievable at what he does. He throws one of the best downfield uh, deep balls in all of college football, maybe all of college football the last three or four years, I would say. Um, And then they play Oregon as well. So, I I mean, they could win three out of those four games and I would not be surprised. They could win four of those games and I would not be surprised because their defense is Really just, it's questionable. It's a questionable defense. I don't know what to expect out of USC every week, um, especially defensively. Like, you, offensively, they're going to put up points. Uh, Caleb Williams is uh, an unbelievable quarterback. He's going to go first overall in the upcoming draft, no doubt in my mind. But, you know, their team, their defense just gives up points where they shouldn't. You know, uh, 28 points to an Arizona State team that... Again, got shut out by Fresno State just last week and give, uh, scored 15 points in a loss against uh, Oklahoma State. And Oklahoma State lost 33 to seven to South Alabama. So, and I know we're playing just you know this team beat this team type of game, but you know that's that's how we compare things. Understandably, that's how we compare things. Um, and again, like I said, that schedule is that schedule is brutal. I mean, Colorado, Notre Dame, Utah, Washington, Oregon, all within basically the next month, essentially um, from. September 30th to November 11th. So a little over a month, a month and seven days. They have to play uh, four ranked teams, two of them on the road and Colorado who's unranked, but can obviously shock some people 
it's good enough to beat this USC team, in my opinion. But like I said, it's going to be a shootout. It's going to be 48 to 45 or something like that. Uh, but yeah, this USC game, or this, uh, my actual good game of the week. Sorry, went off track there. Actual good game of the week for me, Clemson versus uh, Florida State. This was a fun game to watch. Florida State didn't lead once in this entire game during regulation. They were down as much as 10 throughout the game. They tied the game in the third quarter with a 56-yard fumble return for a touchdown. We had every aspect of the game. Clemson's kicker missed a 29-yard field goal with a minute and 49 seconds left in the fourth quarter. That would have given them the lead and possibly the win. And then Florida State's in overtime. Keon Coleman mosses, just absolutely mossed some poor some poor Clemson cornerback in overtime. And uh, that would end up being the game-winning touchdown. It was a good game to watch. It's a rivalry game. Florida State hates Clemson and vice versa. Uh, and Florida State, they hadn't beaten Clemson, I think, in like seven years or something like that. And Jordan Travis finally won one. He's a sixth-year senior or something like that. Uh, and he finally had beaten Clemson. So that was cool to see. Uh, it was good. It was a good win for Florida State. I thought this was going to be a tough game. I mean, I figured it was going to be a tough game because of what we saw against uh, Boston College. And Clemson came out and kind of put a lot of what they saw in that Boston College game into fruition as well against Florida State commanded the game on the ground and Kate Klubnick actually played a really good game through the air uh, for the most part and uh, probably should have won that game like I said they led most of that game probably should have won um, but a missed field goal you know a fumble recovery that ended up being a touchdown and then over time just not being able to stop one of the best receivers in college football and Keon Coleman um, leads to a loss and now I mean Florida State you look ahead at their schedule there is not very much competition on a, lot, on a lot of their schedule, especially leading into November. I think that Duke game is going to be very interesting in late October, but they got Virginia Tech coming up. That should be a win. Virginia Tech has not looked very good so far this year. Syracuse coming up. That should be a win as well. And then they have Duke. That game is going to be very interesting at Wake Forest at Pitt. Those should both be wins. Then they play Miami, a very good rejuvenated Miami team that has looked pretty solid this year. I'll say it. I may have been wrong on Miami. All right. I apologize. They had no re I had no reason to be confident about them coming into the season, given what we saw last year, but they've looked very good this year. They've looked very solid this year. That'll be an interesting game against Florida state. And then obviously they have uh, the game against Florida at the end of the year as well. And that'll be an interesting game, uh, especially at the swamp. So, um, it, you know, it, they should be favored in every single one of those games. I don't see a situation where they're not favored in every in every single one of those games. But given the Boston College game and also the Clemson game, they are bound to slip up at some point. I think Duke is a trap game. I mean, as much of a trap game as a ranked game can be, but that's a game they probably should win. Um, and I think it could be a trap game for them as well, especially and also one of the, you know, Virginia Tech, Syracuse, Wake Forest, Pitt games as well. One of those games because it's probably going to end up being like a trap game. I could, I could see Syracuse uh, being some sort of trap game like that as well. Um, and then Miami, Florida, those are toss ups at that point. Uh, no idea what's going to happen in those games. Um, and then Clemson, man, their season, I, it might not be over, you know, per se, but I would argue that their conference championship or hopes are, I mean, they're going to need a lot to happen in order for them to find a way back into the conversation um, for conference champion in the ACC national championship hopes. We know how this works at this point. You lose two games in the season, uh, in a season and you're basically over like the season's basically over in terms of national championship hopes at this point, especially with the 14 playoff. It might be, it's going to be different next year when we have the 12 team playoff, obviously it's going to be a little bit different Two team. There's gonna be plenty of two team losses in that, uh, in that, uh, playoff bracket, but with the 14 bracket, almost certainly their season is over. Uh, they have more tough games as well. They have to go at Miami. They have to play Notre Dame. Uh, they have to play North Carolina, which North Carolina, I mean, I Mac Brown, he's the head coach of North Carolina. And I mean, to toss up there, but 
Uh, Notre Dame, Miami, those are probably losses, in my opinion, from what we've seen from Clemson so far this year. Notre Dame should definitely be a loss. Uh, they're probably not favored in any of those games, uh, any of those ranked matchups that they have coming up against Notre Dame, Miami, North Carolina, probably not favored in that either. So, um, and the, a couple other, I mean, NC State will be an interesting game. NC State just kind of pushed Notre Dame, granted, in bad weather to kind of the brink. That's the best team uh, other than Ohio State. That's the best game that uh, any team outside of Ohio State has played Notre Dame. So that'll be an interesting game as well. Um, and then the rest of the ACC opponents, Syracuse, Wake Forest, you know, Georgia Tech, South Carolina. There's a, a lot of interesting games there as well. So um, as far as their conference championship hopes, though, I mean, they need a lot of help. It's not over for them necessarily, but I mean, two losses, two conference losses to Duke and Florida State is, I mean, you're asking for a lot of a lot of randomness, randomness to happen. You need Florida state to lose essentially three times because you don't have the tiebreaker. You lost to Florida state. So you need them to lose three times on that schedule that they have in an ACC game. I don't really see that happening, but you know, weirder stuff has happened. We'll see Clemson. uh, We'll see. We'll see with Clemson. Uh, But yeah, that was my actual good game of the week. Florida state versus Clemson. That was a fun game. Um, It was good to see. It's fun game to see. I love watching rivalry games that are close like that. Those are always fun. Uh, the other one that wasn't close, Ole Miss versus Alabama, Lane Kiffin. This is like really the only comment I have on this game because I didn't catch a lot of this game, but uh, Ole Miss versus Alabama, Lane Kiffin can't get over that hump, man. Uh, he cannot get over the Nick Saban hump. We've seen Kirby Smart do it. Um, uh, Steve Sarkeesian has done it as former assistants to uh, Nick Saban. They've both finally gotten over that hump. It's taken Lane Kiffin a long time to try to find a way to do it, and he always goes about it the same way. You know, he starts talking a lot. He gets a lot of whiteboard material and then he always ends up like they always end up losing the game. It's like truly Ole Miss slash Lane Kiffin style. And that's it's just annoying. It's frustrating because that I mean, this was the year for them. This was the year that they were going to have to be able to beat Alabama because who knows what they're going to look like, you know, next year. Um, they're probably going to come back with a, a vengeance like we've never seen next year. If, if Nick Saban comes back Um which is one of my hot takes, by the way, I haven't really mentioned it, but I do think Nick Saban is kind of clearing the path to retire a little bit. You know, I don't, I'm not a hundred percent diving into that take just yet. Um, but he's doing some things off the field that have been interesting to me. Uh, he's appearing on Pat McAfee show like every Wednesday or something like that, which is interesting. He's being more involved in, uh, a lot of the broadcasting stuff. Like whenever they do a national championship or the playoff game or something like that, and he's not coaching in one, he'll come up and do the broadcast, uh, with ESPN or something like that. So, I think he's kind of clearing the way a little bit for an off ramp into broadcasting of some kind um, as a future outside of coaching, which is something I think he could do. I mean, there's nobody more knowledgeable of the sport than him, um, than no, than coach Nick Saban. And I think he's actually pretty well spoken uh, as well in terms of what he provides to a broadcast team and such, especially those pregame, like, you know, the college game days and such. So I think that's a, I'm soft launching that take. I think Nick Saban, this might be his last year. I think he's not the type of guy to announce it before the season. I've never thought that really he would do it after the season, say, Hey, this is it. Like he would let his players know maybe or something like that before the season. And then at the end of the year announce, Hey, this is it. This I'm done. I'm retiring. I'm going into broadcasting or something like that. I could see that from him because there has been just some interesting things that he's done off the field that have caught my eye. Um, and I'm like, wow, that was different. Like he doesn't really talk like that normally after a loss or something like that, um, that I've, that I've noticed. So 
yeah anyways uh yeah lane kiffin just can't get over that nick saban hump and you know, that'd be great news for lane kiffin if nick saban just decided to hang it up um he's in his 70s now so it wouldn't be surprising uh and lane kiffin would be like oh thank god honestly lane kiffin would probably be in the running for that position at alabama to be honest with you like i wouldn't be surprised at that at all um but if he not then he's he's cheering all the way home he's like yes thank god i don't have to worry about that anymore um, okay, let's make our predictions for Poo Poo Garbage No Good Game of the Week this week, as well as our actual good game of the week. Our picks last week were Louisiana Tech and Nebraska. That game actually turned out to be a little bit better than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be a defensive slugfest, very boring. There's there's nothing worse than a defensive slug a slugfest between two teams that don't really matter, you know, at this point. Like Nebraska, Louisiana Tech, they're not going anywhere. You know, they're not going to make it to... Uh, they're not going to make it to a national championship or anything like that or the playoff or anything like the rest is not going to make it to the big 10 championship. You know, it's not going to happen. So defensive slugfest like that is just the worst kind of football, but they actually played pretty good, like pretty good offensively. They were pretty good defensively. Nebraska is one of the best teams defensively in terms of, I think opponent uh, opponent rush yardage per game uh, in the entire and all of college football. So they have a pretty good defense. And um, I mean, that that's, it, it sucks for, I, I feel bad for Nebraska fans, to be honest with you, because they have some of the best fans in all of college football. Granted, it's Lincoln, Nebraska. There's not a lot to do in Lincoln, Nebraska. Hey, just a little, just a little backslap, you know, but hey, I mean, honestly, I, like they have tons of great fans there. I, I, I wish Nebraska was better than they were because when Nebraska's good, uh, football is good. You know, they're like the perfect example of, what makes college football good because you know, there should not be a major college football or football Institute in Lincoln, Nebraska. You know what I mean? Um, and whenever football is good in Lincoln, Nebraska, it's just good for football in general. So, um, I wish Nebraska was better. I do. I do. I'll say it. I wish Nebraska was better because it's good for the sport. Um, okay. Let's pick our games. Our poo poo garbage, no good game of the week. What we think is going to be terrible. Uh, the game that you should watch just because you kind of like, you know, gross stuff like that's, you know, you, you like the, you like the gross stuff. You like to watch gross stuff when you're a kid. And like, that's, that's what this is. That's what this poo poo garbage, no good game of the week is. That's what we pick it for. Um, and I think our pick this week, I was scrolling through some of the games and I think our pick this week is going to be, we've got a real stinker on deck here today or this week. I should say, uh, Iowa, we're sticking with Iowa. Yes. We're sticking with Iowa. It's going to be hard to avoid not wanting to stick with Iowa at this Iowa at this point. Uh, but Iowa's at home and they're playing Michigan State. Uh, this is going to be an ugly game. A ton of stuff going on at Michigan State right now, obviously, with a lot of uh, uh, with Mel Tucker, the Mel Tucker news, everything that's going on there um, and, and interim head coach with that entire situation. That's just a um, I have no idea what to expect out of this team at this point because of what's going on there. Um, and, you know, granted, they put up 16 total points in the past two games. Uh, and then Iowa, we've talked about them enough already. Obviously, they're going to be Iowa. Um, but the spread at this one is already set. It's set at like 36 and a half or something like that. So all odds are pointing towards some poo-poo garbage, some poo-poo garbage in that game. So that's going to be my pick for the poo-poo garbage game of the week. Uh, Michigan State versus Iowa. Keep an eye out on uh, an Iowa, an Iowa out on it. That was a good one. Uh, it starts at five. It's on ESPN. If you want to watch some garbage. It's there for you. You know, if you want to really get down in the dirty, get down in the dirty because it's Saturday. You know, you're willing to just do whatever you want because it's Saturday. You can take your mid-afternoon nap. Nobody's going to care. You can sleep till 11 a.m. No one's going to care. You can stay up late till 2 a.m. No one's going to care. It's the great thing about Saturdays. And you can watch some garbage and no one's going to care. And the garbage is going to happen 5 p.m. Saturday. 
Michigan State versus Iowa. And it's, there might be another game as well. You know, uh, there's almost certainly going to be another game uh, as well. Uh, but that's my pick. That's what I think is going to be the poo poo garbage game of the week. The poo poo garbage, no good game of the week. Michigan State versus Iowa. As for the actual good game of the week, I got to find a better name for the actual good game of the week. Like, there should be a better name for it because I give, I love the poo poo garbage game of the week. Like, I love the name of that, the poo poo garbage, no good game of the week. I think that name is spectacular, in my opinion. Uh, but, the actual good game of the week. It's like I, I I got a good name for the first one, and then I kind of just limped in with the actual good game of the week um, as my next as my next one. But you know, it's whatever at this point. Uh, as of for our actual good game of the week, let's make a pick here for that one. I think I'm gonna go with. So I kind of have two picks here for this one, which is cheating. I have a sneaky game that I think is gonna be better than what people are expecting. USC's favored by 21 and a half over Colorado. That seems like a lot at this point. Colorado obviously coming off a really bad loss, a really bad loss, which I think is a good time to buy them low. Uh, 21 and a half seems pretty crazy. They're not going to have Travis Hunter, obviously, which is a big miss for them, um, especially with their secondary because their secondary, secondary is kind of a mess right now. But um, I think that offense should be good enough to kind of run with USC. Um, so that might be a sneaky good game. At least 21 and a half. I think the I think Colorado should cover that. No problem. Um, but we'll see. I mean, I'm not betting advice, obviously not betting advice, uh, but 21 and a half does seem like a lot. My, uh, my actual good game that I'm going to pick here is this Utah, Oregon state game. I think this is going to be a very interesting game. Oregon state almost came back and beat Washington state. They were down by like 10 plus throughout most of that game against Washington state nearly came back. It was 38 to 35, the final score. Um, and then Utah, I think they should have Cam rising back for this game. He was kind of uh, inching towards coming back against uh, UCLA, then didn't come back. Uh, and if Cam rising comes back, that offense is going to be at least better. Uh, and, and you know, not maybe not a whole lot better because I think they've lost a lot of talent um, over uh, the past year, obviously the past offseason. But I think they're going to be better with Cam rising as quarterback, obviously. And then Oregon State, I think that's a, a still a good team. I mean, nearly came back and beat uh, that Washington State team. And Washington State may be a little bit underrated as well. It's a good year for Pac-12, honestly. It's a very, very good year for the Pac-12. Um, but yeah, I think that's going to be a very interesting game, fun game. They're uh, Utah traveling to um, where the Beavers play. I can't remember the name of it, even though I always, I remember. Come on, James, you got this. Come on, James. Uh, not Eugene, that's Oregon. They play at blank, blank, uh, blank. Where does Oregon State play? Um, I'm going to Google it because now it's bothering me. Oregon State University location. I can't remember it. Corvallis. Corvallis. Corvallis, Oregon. That's right. Uh, yeah, so Utah's got to travel to Corvallis, so that'll be interesting. Oregon State's got a really good uh, student section as well, really loud stadium, underratedly loud stadium in uh, in Corvallis. So that'll be a fun, interesting game. And uh, yeah, Pac-12, they're just uh, they're good, they're good this year. But that's uh, that's my picks. That's my picks for poo poo garbage, no good game of the week, Michigan State versus Iowa, and then the actual good game of the week, sneaky one, Colorado versus USC could be better than people are expecting. Twenty one and a half point dogs as of right now, which is crazy to me. Colorado is. Uh, and then the actual, actual good game of the week that I think is going to be actually a good game, Utah versus Oregon State in Corvallis. I think that'll be a fun game to watch. Uh, so yeah, that's college football. Let's move on to the NFL. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for a break to hear from one of our sponsors. That is right. A sponsor of the program. We have our first sponsor on this program in the history of the program, and it is Jack 
and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Now, look, ladies and gentlemen, I get it. You got to navigate the real estate market. It is impossible. Everybody on House Hunters makes it look super easy. They just go into three different houses and they pick the house they want. Boom, bang, boom. Episode's over. They have a house. It's not that easy, ladies and gentlemen. And Jack and Kathleen Wood will be able to help you throughout that process. And even the people in House Hunters, they have a real estate agent. And these people, Jack Wood, Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate could be your House Hunter-esque real estate agents. So if you're looking to buy real estate, sell real estate in the Sheridan area, these are the two people you should call Jack at 307-763-1249 and Kathleen at 307-461-7203. So listeners, one of the only things I'll ask from you is to support the people that support the show. And that includes these two, Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Thank you very much for the sponsorship and make sure you contact them for all of your real estate needs at 307-763-1249 and 307-461-7203. So there are like three games I actually want to talk about in the NFL. Some other, you know, side stuff uh, that, that was going on in the NFL this week, obviously. Um, but there's like three major games that I think I want to talk about in the NFL. Uh, starting with... The first one, the biggest story of the whole week uh, in terms of NFL and not related to Travis Kelsey slash Taylor Swift. Uh, the biggest story of the NFL right now, outside of those two things, um, was the Broncos versus the Dolphins. If you watch this game and you're a Broncos fan, I'm sorry. Uh, this may, you're probably in more despair than you were last year at any point, I would say, uh, because it's like at this point, you're 0 3. You just got beat by 50, which I don't think I've ever said that without being obtuse. Um, maybe ever, but beat by 50. Uh, I don't remember seeing a team as ill-prepared um, for a game than that one for that one for the, uh, the Broncos, especially the defense. The defense was un unbearably awful, um, obviously. I mean, they lose 70 to 20. Um, and first, I mean, honestly, first, before we get, before we get started there, let's... We got to celebrate first, to be honest with you. It's not it's not all bad news. Um, there are some good news, is some good news. Um, and we're going to start here. You know what the music means. And if you're a Broncos fan, I'm really sorry, but we do this for every single one of these. That's right. That 70 to 20 defeat by the Broncos was a scoregami. So yeah, it was a scoregami. Um I apologize Broncos fans, you know. You I got I got to be consistent. Uh that was a scoregami. That score has never happened before in the history of the NFL. Um Obviously, I mean, you don't get beat 70 to 20 very often ever. You literally ne it's never happened before. That score literally never happened before. So, uh, yeah, the Broncos, I, honestly, at this point, there's not a lot that I can say that's going to change anything at this point uh, from a lot of perspective. So I, I'll just give you the stats, um, <laughs> which aren't going to help you either, to be honest with you. But here are the stats uh, out of that game. The Dolphins were in the 100th percentile. In EPA per play, success rate, yards per play, EPA per dropback, EPA per pass, uh, and early down EPA per play. 
as well. They were in the 98th percentile in EPA per rush as well. Uh, they had nearly 10.39 yards per play, which is unfathomable. Like that is unbelievable. They're averaging. They're basically getting a first down every single play uh, per in terms of yards per play. They were getting a first down basically every single play. Uh, a 62% success rate is unfathomable as well. That's unbelievable. Um, in terms of a lot of these advanced analytics, EPA per play is really, they were averaging nearly a point per drop back as well, which is, I mean, it's unbelievable what that Dolphins team did. And I, I think honestly, um, Mike McDaniel, um, is probably, I mean, after that game, I would say probably the best schemer in the NFL. It's been uh, offensively anyways, the things that he does, offensively to get one extra blockers in split in, in space because they were running that H that, that halfback toss crack play. Like they ran it so many times and it was working. It felt like every single time they would motion in um, a, like receiver or tight end to the left side or to the right side. And then they'd run a toss crack and it got them open field, uh, open field blocking, essentially whatever side they wanted to go on. And it didn't feel, it felt like no matter what, However many people they put on either side, uh, the Broncos put on either side, they weren't going to be able to slow down that run. Uh, and they did it like a couple of times. So they were in the way they, the, the way they do things with motion. I think I mentioned this last week is just amazing. Like they averaged the most motion pre-snap motion uh, uh, over any team in, in the entire, in the entire NFL uh, by a pretty wide margin, by the way. Uh, they also averaged the most EPA per play with pre-snap motion in the NFL by another pretty wide margin. Uh, and the things that they do and Mike McDaniel does to get guys like Tyree kill, just the speed guys in motion or in space as well uh, in the open field is unbelievable. But with that being said, there are, there were some moments in that game where I was like, like even good def like even bad defenses know to not do this sort of thing. Like the, the first touchdown that they gave up with, I think Justin Simmons was the safety where he just, bit like it was a, I think it was a shallow cross concept or something like that or a crossing concept um and Tyree Kill was the guy that was basically doing the deep post route and Justin Simmons the idea of that crossing route essentially that crossers route is to make one of the safeties up in the high safety uh of the two high safeties bite towards one of those crossing routes and you should have one of them wide open essentially and Justin Simmons um and I don't think Justin Simmons is a bad player by any means and I'm picking one play out of the hat essentially um he bit on one on one of the wide receivers, which was not Tyreek Hill in that situation. Like I don't care if Tyreek Hill's not running a route. Like I'm putting a body on Tyreek Hill at that point. Like there's no way that like he, he caught Tyreek Hill caught that ball and there was nobody within 35 yards of him. And at that point it's over. Like he's getting into the end zone no matter what. Um, and it, that, that was kind of just the, that felt like a play that was going to kind of preview the rest of the, the, the game essentially. Um, they just like Mike McDaniel had that team or had the, the defense, the, the coordinators, the coach, Sean Payton, everybody in his hand in that game. And he was doing whatever he wanted. Um, motion, pre-snap motion, getting guys in space. Like it didn't matter. He was doing, he he called the play with two tongue of Ilo and doing a no look, uh, no look shovel pass. Like he's just a mastermind. The guy is a genius uh, when it comes to just play design schemes, getting people open like that. He just does an unbelievable job. And Tua, you know, obviously you can't put, um, you, you know, you can't not mention Tua Tungavailo in this situation. He is, he was perfect heading it, literally perfect heading into halftime. Hadn't missed a complete or missed an attempt. It was, I think, the 20 for 20 going into halftime. Um, and he ended up going like uh, something ridiculous. 
uh, 23 for 26 um, at the end of the game, which I don't think he played a lot of that fourth quarter. Um, he had four touchdowns on the day. I mean, it was disgusting. It was disgusting. And even Mike White, who came in as the backup, essentially, because the game was over, he was two for two for 67 yards and a touchdown as well. Like, it was just a bad day. A bad day at the office for the Broncos. I don't know. Like, and the other thing was, there was parts of it that I was... Like a lot of it was bad scheme. It felt like a lot of bad planning. Um, again, like I said, I don't remember a team that felt as ill prepared as the Broncos were for that game against the Dolphins. And their defense is supposed to be like their strong suit going into that game. Like Pat Sertain's a fantastic cornerback, obviously, but he got beat uh, on a streak by Robbie Chosen Anderson. Uh, Robbie Anderson, formerly formerly known as Robbie Anderson, Robbie Chosen, who is you know basically aged out of a bunch of different teams in this league. Uh, and he got beat on a streak route where he was the primary defender in that situation and gave up a touchdown because of it. Uh, there were just a lot of, and that was basically when the game was over. That was, I think Mike white threw that foot through that football. That was the touchdown he scored. Um, so there are just a lot of, uh, I, I mean, yeah, it, it was just a, a bad game. And, and again, it's not like, like, I don't know, Russell Wilson. He didn't have the worst game on planet earth either. It's just the fact that, like the, put them side by side and Broncos fans see exactly what they want to be. Obviously that's the team that they want. They have a similar player somewhat in terms of Russell Wilson, a guy that is somewhat maneuverable can work outside of the pocket. A lot of the time is better when he is supposed to be maneuvering. Uh, and they see the mirror image of what they want to be right in front of them uh, in the Miami dolphins with the speed that they have a guy like Tua Tunga who's got uh, an amazing, some amazing accuracy on the balls that he's put, um, especially in the intermediate area of the field. Um, and they see that and they're like, man, that should have been us. That should have been us. Um, and it's not, it's not, unfortunately. Uh, and here we are, here we are for the Broncos. I have no idea what you do from here. I'm surprised that there's been not more talk about what Sean Payton was talking about before the season. Um, talking about how Nathaniel Hackett did one of the worst coaching jobs in all in ever that he's ever seen. And then, you know, three weeks later, three weeks later, he's putting up, giving up 70, 70 points. Um, in an NFL game, which is something I never thought I'd see. I never thought I'd see a 70 point game from an NFL team getting beat. And then the other NFL team getting beat by 50. I just never thought I'd see it. Um, but here we are in the Broncos. I, like I said, good luck. I Broncos fans. I, I'm assuming this was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. I mean, it is early, you know, it's early to be thrown in the towel. Uh, you know, you could still go 13 or 14 and three and nobody remembers any of it. Um, but I don't think anybody believes it's going to happen. Um, and, you know, it's hard to bounce back from a game like that. But with that being said, you do got some pretty like you got snoozers coming up. You got the Bears up next and you got the Jets up next. Like those should be two wins. Those should be two wins. If you're the Broncos, you should be very confident going into those games like that. If Zach will, if the Jets are still trotting Zach Wilson out there, um, which is kind of a joke at this point, they should make a trade ASAP. Uh, then that should be two wins for the Broncos. They should be two and three heading into a game against the Chiefs in which they'll lose. I mean, it's been a year in, year out type of thing with the Chiefs as long as they've had Patrick Mahomes. If that's going to be a win over the Broncos, that's what they've done just consistently ever since they started playing the Broncos with Patrick Mahomes. They've just won that game. Uh, so that'll probably be a loss. Um, but, and then, I mean, they play them again two and two weeks and the two weeks after that as well. And then they play the bills after that as well. So, I mean, you got two like you have to win these next two games. If you want to take, if you want to make some sort of bounce back, if you're the Broncos, you got to win these next two games. The, I'm, I can't believe I'm saying must win games. If you're the Broncos, we're three games in, I'm already calling them must wins because if you look at their schedule after that, it's, um, 
It's a lot of no's uh, and maybes, I guess is what I would say. Ch uh, Chiefs, no. Packers, maybe. Chiefs again, no. Uh, Bills, no. Vikings, maybe. Browns, maybe, uh, given the Browns' defense is absolutely absurd so far this year, doing whatever they want on defense. And Sean Watson is uh, up there with Russell Wilson, like in terms of, I think, in terms of talent at this point, I think they're both pretty similar. Like they're one in, uh, they're one in the same when looking at them. Um, so that's a maybe. Texans should win that. Chargers, no. Lions, no. Patriots, maybe. Uh, Chargers, no. Raiders, maybe. So, I mean... That, that's the schedule you're looking at. So I, I think if you want to try to make even a simple shot at any sort of playoff run, you have to win these next two games. Uh, you have to beat the Bears. You have to beat the Jets because even the next four weeks are possibly 0-4 to 1-3 at this point. I don't see any situation in which they beat the Chiefs twice or once, to be honest with you, or the Bills. Like, I just don't see it happening. And then they play the Packers, which uh, that's a maybe as well. So Broncos fans, I, I'm sorry. I apologize that that must have been tough to go through. That was a, that was, it was fun to watch. Like, I'll be honest with you. Cause I love watching the dolphins. I love watching Mike McDaniel work because he's a, just, he's a mad scientist with the offensive schemes that he cooks up. And some of the motion stuff that he runs is just so much fun to watch. Um, and he just puts Tua Tungavailoa and Tyree kill and Jalen Waddle and all these like perfect positions that allow them to do whatever it is that they're best at and just gives them the football, like gets them in the spots where they need to be, in order to get the football. And it's unbelievable to watch. Next time you're watching football, just make sure you're watching the Dolphins. If you're watching, it's the if it's Sunday, it's the NFL, make sure you're watching the Dolphins because they're a team that's, they're just a blast to watch. There's nobody better to watch right now, in my opinion, on offense, especially than uh, the Miami Dolphins. Um, let's move on here to the other one I kind of want to talk about really quickly. The Jets. Um, that one's depressing to me as well. Just the Jets in general. Uh, Aaron Rodgers goes down, you know, tearing a torn Achilles season is probably over, even though he's saying he's trying to make a push for the playoffs, which let's chillax there, Aaron. Okay. Nobody's ever done that. Um, but with Zach Wilson as their backup, uh, like they need to find somebody else at this point. It's just completely non-functional. Like it just doesn't work. Uh, I don't think he has very much confidence when he's throwing the football anymore. He is basically taking three strap jobs and looking for the, um, looking for the check down essentially he like it feels like he's barely looking downfield at this point and the dolphins they're good enough if they have a you know a uh, above average qb it doesn't have to be a star or anything like that a kirk cousins if you will uh if they have a kirk cousins they're good enough to make a run uh, like i i truly believe they're good enough at every position in the air in that uh in a skill position in the league to make a run if they wanted to um garrett wilson's one of the best um, well, one of the best is maybe a strong, but he's a very solid wide receiver. Garrett Wilson's very good. Priest Hall, Dalvin Cook as a one-two punch in the backfield is very, very good. Sauce Gardner on the outside on defense. Their defense in general is just very good. Um, so, like, they have to make a change. They have to make a trade somewhere. Uh, somebody on a one-year deal, try to just grab him, make a run, then let him go in free agency. If Aaron Rodgers is back and ready, then you bring him back for the 2024 campaign, but you just got to find somebody with a one-year deal or a cheap deal that could also become a backup once Aaron Rodgers is back. So a Jacoby Brissett even at this point, like I, I think they would be better under Jacoby Brissett at this point than Zach Wilson. Um, it's just depressing to watch. Like it's hard to watch because they have so much talent on that field. Like it, just so much talent on every skill position, except the most important one. Uh, it's just depressing to watch. Um, so yeah, that was, that was my, that was my note here. I was like, they got to make a change. And 
here's hoping, I guess. Like, I want, I want them to be good just because I think that, like the like the NFL is better if a New York team is good, just in general. Like, I don't think the Giants are very good. Um, and if the Jets, like the Jets have more talent around the quarterback position to be better than the Giants, if that makes sense, um, on both sides of the football. So I think it would be good. Um, I, I just want to see the Jets good for once. Like everybody remembers those runs with like Rex Ryan and Mark Sanchez. Like everybody, that was a prime, prime position of football. Like I remember that very clearly. That was a fun time uh, for football where they were just making playoff appearances and making AFC championship games, even though, like Mark Sanchez was never a very good quarterback. Their defense was always very stellar, but their, their offense was never all that good. And, you know, Rex Ryan was just playing the character at that point. And it was fun. Like that was, that feels like Dolphins football and it feels or Dolphins, excuse me. It feels like Jets football. And I would like more of that because it just makes, uh, it just makes the game in general more fun. Um, finally, final one. I kind of want to talk touch on really quickly. Um, the Cowboys game uh, versus the Cardinals. This one was not one that I had. I was stunned. Um, I, I was taking mid-afternoon nap, as I do, uh, during the start, kind of towards the end, but the start of the, um, of the what are they called? The afternoon games, I guess is what I'll say. The, the, the afternoon games, and I woke up. It was a little bit past the start of the second quarter, or excuse me, the halfway point of the second quarter, and I saw that the Cowboys were struggling against the Arizona Cardinals. I was like the Cardinals. This is a team that should be tanking. Like they put on a ma- um, a masterful tank job last week um, against the, uh, the giants where they went up, they were basically dominating the giants and then, you know, slow it down. It's like the scene from the Incredibles. Um, if you've ever seen the Incredibles, cause the Incredibles is a great movie. If you haven't go see it, uh, where dash, he is at, it's the very end. It's the very end. He's at the track meet and his all his family's there and everything like that. Um, and he's, and he's racing in track, obviously. And for those that don't know, dash is the fast one of the family. He's got the speed. He's got the wheels. Um, and he's a superhero. So he's super fast, obviously. So he's, ru- he's running in this track meet, uh, and he just starts blowing away the competition, like no problem, you know? And then he looks up to the stands and he's like telling, and like his family are like streaming down. I'm like, slow down, slow down, because it's going to look like you're, you know, beating, winning illegally, you know, like you're like, everybody's going to realize you're a superhero. Um, and then he looks up, he starts to slow down and the other racers start to pass him. And then they look up, he looks up again and his family's like doing the the signal for like, make it close, like make it very close. And that's exactly what the Cardinals did. They were put on a masterful tank shot last week. Um, and I thought that's the direction they were going to go. They were just going to make everything close. You know, they were maybe going to jump out to a big lead or something like, maybe not jump out to a big lead every week, but they were going to make it close. Like they were going to fight and claw their way back to certain points during the season. Um, but I didn't think they were going to upset the Cowboys. I thought they would make it close. I didn't think they were going to upset the Cowboys. Um, and here we are. Uh, they were doing it mainly on the ground. They were getting basically whatever they wanted, especially on the left side uh, of their offensive line. They ran, I think, like four. No, no, it's more than that. Like seven to ten plays, I think, on the left side of that offensive line. And the the uh, the defensive line, the defense of the Cowboys just could not stop it for anything. I think they had, what was it? 153 yards uh, in total on the left side of that offensive line. Like did they just couldn't stop it? They also had some good rushing rushes on the right end, like outside of the tight end on the right side as well. Um, But mainly on that left side, they were just dominating on the ground and the Cowboys just could not stop the run. So uh, the Cardinals were able to just dominate the clock and you know, 
basically win that game off of that. I mean, they had a couple uh, scores late. You know, it's not like they were just, you know, keeping it, punting it away, anything like that. They were running the football and they were scoring off of it. So, you know, I, I couldn't believe they had 29 carries for 220 yards, essentially two touchdowns, um, eight first downs as well. So in five runs of 10 plus yards. So a very good day for the Cardinals run game and the Cowboys. Uh, that's that's a questionable loss, to say the least. They also slowed down Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott, I don't think he had like three or four passes of 15 yards or more or something like that. He threw, he was throwing a lot of stuff at just the line of scrimmage, um, which was a little concerning because if that's, you know, like I think Dak Prescott is good enough to make those throws downfield and either he or Mike McCarthy have got to make the adjustments for him um, to start being more aggressive down the field. And his bad, his interception at the end was bad. Uh, that was a really bad turnover uh, in the red zone to at least cut it to a one score game. And uh, to throw that pick in that situation to just a bad pass in general, basically throwing it to nobody and the linebacker picks it off. Um, that was just a bad interception by uh, Dak Prescott. Um, so it's a concerning loss, definitely for the Cowboys. Uh, I don't know if they just fell asleep at the wheel. They had bad news with Trayvon Diggs. He's tore his ACL. That's a huge loss for them uh, in the secondary. Uh, and that defense is obviously going to hurt. Because they also slowed down Michael Parsons a ton. The Cardinals did in that game. He got a little bit, he got going a little bit more in the second half, but um, he was slowed down for a majority of that game. Um, and yeah, if that defense, like without Trayvon Diggs, if that's going to become a huge hole for them, then they're in trouble. Like that's, that's a bad loss for them. That's a game. They absolutely, I think there were 12 point favorites or something like that. Like that's a game they should absolutely win. They come in, they came in number one scoring offense, number one scoring defense and you know, everybody was red and high and then they lose that. And it's like, okay, well, we're right back where we were basically at the start of the season. Like how good is this Cowboys team essentially? Um, so yeah, that was uh, another one that was a head scratcher just made me confused. Um, and finally, the one thing I also want to talk about to kind of wrap it up here, cause we're going a little bit over on time, but it's okay. It's all right. No big deal. Um, one thing I do want to talk about um, was that Steelers, that Steelers Raiders game um, at the very end mainly at the very end uh, because the rest of the game honestly was not that enthralling or interesting whatsoever. But the very end of that game, Mike McDaniel, Mike McDaniel, I do this all the time. Josh McDaniels, not Mike McDaniel, Josh McDaniels made one of the worst decisions I have ever seen on a football field. So I'm just going to play the scenario out to you. Uh, what happened in this game um, and what you would have done in this situation, if you're a football fan, what you would have done, if you weren't aware of what was going on, I'll explain it to you. So there's two minutes and I think 25 seconds, left, 29 seconds left, something like that. Uh, the Raiders, they're down 23 to 15, two minutes, 25 seconds left. Let's just make it a round number. Two minutes, 25 seconds left. Uh, Pittsburgh's leading 23 to 15. You're the Las Vegas Raiders. You're down on the Pittsburgh Steeler eight yard line. You're down on the eight yard line of the Pittsburgh Steelers down 23 to 15. It's a fourth and four. It's a fourth and four. So four yards out, uh, eight yards out from the end zone, four yards out from a first down. What do you do there? 23 to 15, fourth and four on the Pittsburgh eight yard line. 225 left to go in the fourth quarter. Game's basically, you know, more or less uh, coming to a conclusion. The win probability is leaning in the Steelers way pretty heavily at this point. What do you do to try to bring it back? to a tie ball game 23 to 15 that's an eight point ball game the answer should have been you go for it fourth and four try to get a first down down a first down a touchdown in that situation that'd be fantastic 
You score a touchdown, get a first down, and then score a touchdown regardless. You have to go for the two-point conversion. If you successfully convert the two-point conversion, you are tied. Tied with about two minutes left, give or take, maybe a little bit less after the two-minute warning uh, if you just get the first down. So we'll say minute 45 left. It's a tie ball game. You're giving the, you're giving the ball back to the Pittsburgh Steelers. That is not what happened. Uh, Mike McDaniel, I did it again. Josh McDaniels, in all his infinite wisdom, uh, decided to kick the field goal. Um, on that fourth and four with two minutes and 25 seconds left. Uh, it was good. Made a 23-18. Didn't help him at all. Uh, he's not going to be able to go back down the field and kick another field goal to tie the game or anything. He's going to still have to score a touchdown. So that didn't help him whatsoever. Um, if he would have scored the touchdown, missed the two-point conversion, then it would be a field goal game. That would have been better, too, uh, in that scenario. Just a complete lack of game management. So not to mention after this, when... Pittsburgh got the ball back. They're leading 23 to 18. They're able to run out the clock till 23 seconds were left in the fourth quarter. When the Raiders got the ball back, it was back on their own 15 yard line. They had to basically go down the length of the field, 23 seconds. I don't think they had any timeouts left. They did not have any timeouts left. Uh, No timeouts left. They had to march down the field with 23 seconds left and score a touchdown. They could not kick a field goal because of this decision that Josh McDaniels made. Um, And the first play, First play when they got the ball back was an interception. So just a complete, I I don't think I've ever seen that bad of a sequence in terms of game management from a head coach in a very long time. That was terrible. Uh, fourth and four on the opponent's eight yard line, down eight. Even if you score and you don't make the two point conversion, you at least make it a field goal game. A field goal does you no good in that situation. Sure, it adds points to the score, but you still have to score a touchdown in order to take the lead. Uh, you cannot kick a field goal to tie it. You cannot kick a field goal after that to take the lead. You have to score the touchdown, get the two-point conversion, you're tied, then you're all happy. If not, kick the uh, you go for, uh, go for two, don't get it. You score the touchdown, go for two, don't get it. You're still only down two at that point. It's 23 to 21 at that point. So... You have a field goal to kick if you get the ball back. You don't have to go down as far down the field. You can go. You can make that field about half as long as it is, maybe a little bit more, um, basically 60% as long as it is um, to get the points that you need to send it to overtime or, I guess, win the game if it's 23-21. Um, that was a head-scratcher. I could not believe that was the play call that Josh McDaniels had made, um, especially from a guy that's an offensive coach that kind of, uh, has had to deal with that. I mean, he was the offensive coordinator of the Patriots when they had won Super Bowls. So he has to deal with that kind of stuff, that sort of game management a lot of the time and have that inner clock kind of running or that inner calculator kind of running. Um, and he made a, a post-game response afterwards about what his mindset, uh, what he was thinking in that situation. But I mean, there's nothing he can say that can make up for that decision because it was just mind-numbingly insane that that was the decision he came up with. It was to kick that field goal. And it lost him the game. I mean, really, it legitimately lost him the game. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo, I didn't really have a lot of faith in him driving down the field anyways with 23 seconds left, but I have a lot more faith in him and any quarterback in that situation on the opponent's eight-yard line on a fourth and four than I do driving from the 15-yard line of your own 15-yard line uh, with 23 seconds to go. Just uh, That's how every head coach should think. Um, but evidently not Mike McDaniel. So... Yeah, that's that's kind of all I wanted to talk about. I just couldn't believe I was seeing that. That was in the world we live in today with NFL becoming a lot smarter in the fourth down situations uh, going forward at very opportune times and smart times. Brandon Staley, one of them, he got a lot of crap for that fourth down call um, because they didn't get it. If he would have got it, he would have looked like a genius and he made the right call like he should have been going for it on that situation. 
uh, in that situation because if he gets that first game, the game's over. The game is the game is over, and they kneel it out. They win that game. They win the game regardless. Um, but it just looked a lot worse because they didn't get it, and that's you know that's football, obviously. Uh, finally, actually, really quickly before we close out, uh, before we close out the show, one more game I want to talk about: the Eagles and the Buccaneers. They were uh, played on Monday Night Football. Not a lot to talk about this one except for. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. It was a two-scoregami Sunday, well, weekend. We had a 70 to 20 scoregami, and the Eagles beating the Buccaneers 25 to 11 is a score that had never happened before. We had two scoregamis in one weekend. God, I love that song. It's so much fun. Uh, yeah, that's all I want to talk about that game. You know, it kind of went as I expected, so not a lot to talk about. Uh, but 25-11, never has happened before, never had happened before in the history of the NFL. That was a first-time score in that game, 25-11. to 11. Uh, Two score gummies in one weekend. What, what a time to be alive, I must say. What a time to be alive. Uh, that, ladies and gentlemen, is going to wrap up the show. I think I want to thank you all very much for tuning in. Uh, remember, you can listen to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, tell your friends, tell your buddies. Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Tell your friends, tell them all. Tell them I love them. Uh, and if they start listening to the show, I'll love them even more. That would be greatly appreciated. Uh, remember to leave a rating as well. If you're listening to uh, to this show on any of those podcasting platform, platforms, I'd greatly appreciate that as well. Um, we'll be back next week. Talk more football and such and the likes. Who knows what's going to happen? Uh, but we'll be back here nonetheless. So thank you very much for tuning in. This has been the Weekend Sports Rep Podcast, and I have been your host, James Timberlake.